When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Big Football Show. This podcast is brought to you by Direct Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Today is Wednesday, September 1st, and this is Scott Docterman. And I'm mostly right about Iowa. Today I'm joined by Audrey Snyder, my colleague, friend, and fellow beer connoisseur who covers Penn State. Audrey, welcome back to the Big Football Show. It's great to see you. I thought you were going to say friend and foe. <laughs> uh, so that's, that worked out better. I'm good, Scott. Good to see you as well. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're finally here. We finally have arrived at football season. And after a year last year where I don't think we... I don't think the season really meshed with what we were looking no. for. It was games and that was about it. Uh, we finally have a real weekend of football with fans and road trips, marching bands. And you get one of the best trips on the schedule right away um, in Madison. Have you ever been there before? Because uh, the Nittany Lions play uh, the Badgers on Saturday morning. Yes, so I've been there. This will be my third trip. However, Scott, Penn State has not been back to Madison since 2013, which is pretty crazy um, when you just, you know, you kind of think of the schedule. And uh, I do have a big story coming out on Thursday about that last trip that Penn State made to Camp Randall in 2013. Uh, and that was a, it was an interesting, important win for the program despite a lot of people, especially maybe from the Penn State side of things, might forget about it because that was the uh, the sanction era. Right, yeah. The good old days of Bill O'Brien and Gary Anderson mm-hmm. and, and the old leaders division. And That's that, right. And uh, what I loved about it, well, not really, but it, I thought it was kind of interesting, was just how <laughs> out of the, the kind of the six powers, if you will, yeah. teams, at the end of the season, they all played one another. Um, Wisconsin played Penn State, which is completely inorganic. Nebraska and Iowa, which was kind of stapled together. And then, of course, Michigan and Ohio State um, in that era. And it, it really was a fascinating time. And, and there were some pretty interesting games. I, I remember, I think the Penn State-Wisconsin game in 2012. Wasn't that mm-hmm. the one where they... Overtime had, game. Yeah. And Wisconsin went on and, and won, a third-place team won the, the leaders' division that year. But that... Yeah, I mean, they were, because I remember the weird thing was was being out there in 2013, because 2012, yeah, 2012 came down to the wire, mm-hmm. 2013 um, ended up, Penn State had a had a nice lead, but then gave it up in the fourth quarter, and it became a, a, like a back and forth type, real close game, um, but it was just bizarre, because it's that, you know, after Thanksgiving week game, mm-hmm. so like campus is dead, um, but I do remember going to State Street Brats, so it would have been, I guess, probably, yeah, the day after Thanksgiving, that Friday. Yeah, right, and uh, I, I want to say it was the year before, though, and this was out in, in at State College, 
when they unveiled like the the banners or something, you know, for the 2012 team, and yes. Michael Motti was on that team, who was one of the best captains I've ever seen in Big Ten history, and yeah, that yeah, that might have been a pretty cool moment, I think. Yeah, and he uh, he had gotten hurt the week before, and so they had the the 42, the helmet decals. I believe that was all the same. I believe it was the same game. But Scott, admittedly, that feels like 15 years ago at this point. Not, Almost you know, was. not a decade. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking nine years That's ago. That's crazy. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. To, you know, when I start to think back at certain things like this and old leaders division games, but you know, location wise for me, being in Iowa City, Madison's our closest stop in the Big Ten. It's only about two and a half hours away, and the fan yeah. bases are pretty much the same. You know, except they wear different colors. I would say one of the worst things, though, the the Big Ten and Fox did this weekend is make this kickoff time eleven a.m. Um, because the students do yeah. not make it back to the stadium until an hour into the game anyway. So there's going to be nobody there. It's going to be more like Memorial Stadium in Bloomington than it will be really? Camp Randall. It's, it's dead. It is dead for that first quarter until they... I, I did not know that. Yeah, until the Grateful Dead, or Grateful Red, as they call themselves, uh, you know, <laughs> come into the stadium. And then it becomes a raucous an- atmosphere that we all expect at Camp Randall. But... Um, it's it's I, I don't like these 11 o'clock kickoffs because they kind of have a connotation of second tier game, you know, just a game. Mm-hmm. You know? And and the fact that you've got two, you know, primary teams that are in the top 20, uh, this to me, it should have been night game. It should have been night at Camp Randall. And uh, instead, it's going to be breakfast at Camp Randall. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, I, the thing is, I like selfishly, I like the 11 a.m. start because it's like, okay, you just get up early Saturday, you know, you're done by dinner time. Um, but yeah, for fans, for the full experience, that's, I, I was unaware of the, I mean, it makes sense with the late arriving crowd because we see that here. Um, but that's a, yeah, that's a nice little wrinkle to know. I'm sure uh, Penn State fans will uh, probably be there early, but I don't know, Scott, after a year of seeing just parents and family members in the stands, anything's going to look weird at this point. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, I mean, it'll be crazy there. It's just, yeah. I, I knowing Camp Randall as well as I do, and Kinnick's pretty much the same way, is that, you know, there's going to be partying starting at 5.30, 6 in the, in the morning. <laughs> it's going to get crazy out on State Street and all the above around uh, in downtown Madison. And then, uh, but it'll take a while for everybody to filter in and, and make it, the atmosphere that it's come to be known as and and it'll be fun and but the one thing i will caution you i'm sure you already know is you know but it's been a while you know it's been eight years yeah, it's been yeah the you know third quarter make sure you've got a lid on your drink uh it always feels like that press box <laughs> is going to fall straight forward onto the onto really the camp randall surface yeah i mean it shakes and it's like you know I, one time i was sitting there a colleague had um coffee on the table and it was just like bouncing all over the place and coffee was splattering and stuff i i always get worried and this is going to be the year and this is going to be the game where it falls forward and ends up on the field but uh that is i did not know that scott you just saved me probably from some embarrassment you might have just saved my work laptop from some some spills (laughs) um yeah that i mean and because you know, we'll feel it in Beaver Stadium because mm-hmm. obviously that press box feels like it's being You're held right. up barely by a thread. But yeah, when when they start with Zombie Nation there after a big play, like mm-hmm. you'll you'll get the sway there. Um, but I never feel like I'm going to actually spill anything on my work laptop. So that's uh, looking out for the company. I appreciate that. Yeah, there you go. You got a work laptop? 
well, well, it's mine, but I use it for work. Okay, I got the same thing. I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. what happened here? I, I yeah. just bought a brand new one because my other one crapped out <laughs> on me in the summer. So uh, I'm like, what am I get, not getting out here? In yeah. Uh, but oh, it, it, it is a, it's a tremendous atmosphere. It's going to be a lot of fun there. I, I do wish it would be later. I think the Big Ten win... Uh, its new media rights deal goes into effect in 2023 needs to really spell this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they allowed Fox to kind of dictate the terms. And it was understandable to some extent that Fox wants these 11 a.m. kickoffs to be the entryway to the day, that there's really no competition. You know, 2.30, they're dealing with SEC um, on CBS. They're dealing with night games on ABC. So they wanted to kind of turn it into their own little window. But you know, especially early in the year when it, the weather is still pretty warm, I don't see people saying, "Oh, I got to stay. I really want to stay inside for this." They want to watch their team's game, but they don't yeah. really care that much about, oh, I, you know, watch Wisconsin, Penn State, or, or whoever at that time. And I think that's, I think the Big Ten needs to emphasize our biggest and most important game either needs to be at the the middle window three thirty Eastern or at night, and I think that's what they need to put down starting in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, that's a great idea, Scott. And maybe, you know, the Alliance wants to to take a hand Mm -hmm. in that and help us out. Uh, Because I've had a lot of friends, you know, I went to Penn State, a lot of my friends are reaching out about the game. And, you know, what what do you think about the team or during fantasy drafts? You know, Mm -hmm. how's the quarterback look? Everybody wants to know about Sean Clifford. But so many of them have said, that game's at night, right? And I'm like, no, it is not. You know, it's just, I think... We automatically think like big games, primetime kickoff. But yeah, that's not what Fox has been going for. Yeah, and I mean, and and this week in particular, there are two games that really stand out. One is the one you're going to be at, and the other is the one I'm going to be at, which is, you know, number 18, Iowa, playing host to number 17, Indiana. Both teams were second in the division last year, had outstanding seasons overall, um, but just were on the cusp and wanting to take a step forward. And that's the mid-afternoon game, but it's on Big Ten Network. So it, it, yeah, it's really it's kind weird. of strange, you know, that now Fox, Big Fox, took Ohio State, Minnesota um, on Thursday night. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's it's yeah. a, it's going to be a raucous atmosphere in the Twin Cities and Dinky Town anyway. And um, <laughs> and it's the Ohio State. I mean, they, they command the, the biggest uh, blowhorn of the bunch. And then Friday night, I think it's an ESPN game, Michigan State Northwestern, which is kind of interesting but I think that's yeah. clearly the fourth game on the on the slate, and 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 so to me, I I, I like where Iowa Indiana is situated. I just think that Penn State Wisconsin, um, two historical brands. I think you know certainly Wisconsin's elevated itself into that category that I think it it deserves to be that showcase game. And I know Alabama's playing Miami and everything, but yeah. but let's face it, most people in Big Ten country, I know here, I can't speak for Pennsylvania. Maybe you can. If your choice is a really good Big Ten game or Alabama-Miami or even Georgia-Clemson, who are they going to pick? I would say Big Ten, Scott. I mean, I feel like, you know, especially in Pennsylvania, it's, I mean, they care more about, at least the people I know, again, I could be wrong, but the people I know, they care more about, you know, what's Ohio State doing, what's Michigan doing uh, now, what's Indiana doing after the way last year opened, as opposed to, Oh, hey, I'm going to watch Alabama. I mean, I I understand. Like, I get that. But it's also, like, my entire neighborhood seemingly is made up of people who have, like, Penn State season tickets and are, like, obsessed with this place. And I live very close to the stadium. Um, And so, you know, the connections, it's like 
everything stops for Penn State. And mm-hmm. then it also stops to see what all these other teams are doing and, and how they look because they want to know how Penn State's going to look when they play that team, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just, to me, the whole thing with the 11 a.m. kick is, is weird. Um, but selfishly, I go back to me, Scott, because yeah. it's always about me. Um, I like it from that perspective. I won't feel like my eyeballs are blasting out of my head the next day when I wake up for a flight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, from a fan perspective, it sucks. I, I absolutely get that. Um, and again, how many people there are tailgating? You know, do you really, I mean, they do and they will, but do you really want to start at 530 in the morning? Well, I, I wouldn't, but I do know a lot of people who do. They will. Yeah. yeah. They, they yeah. will. And, Bloody and, Marys, here they come. Right. Um, I, you know, I mean, I kind of am talking out of both sides of my mouth when I say this. Yes, I prefer 11 a.m. because then I'm home. And then even worse, in my case, I drive to the majority of Big Ten, old Big Ten schools, mm-hmm. um, you know, at least from Indiana West. So the last thing I want is at 10, at 10 or 11 at night to start hitting the road and now that I'm yeah. getting older, it's harder to drive that late. That late but <laughs> I'm getting old in my old age. But no, they. But then when you look at, uh, but from the viewer standpoint or for the fan standpoint, which is really more important than what I think, or you know, yeah. you know newspaper people will disagree. But still, <laughs> <laughs> but what, what the fans think is they want more opportunities to, to experience this because the difference between football or basketball, you know, or in other sports are. I mean, football is an event. It's an yes. all-day event. You invest time and money into, you know, if you're, you know, I, I think both of our locations are two of the best when it comes to tailgating and atmosphere. Anyway, oh yeah, uh, that people go there. They're they're there for hours before kickoff, and then they go to the game. The game is part of the day. It's an important part. It's the keynote part, but it's still part of it. It's about being with your friends, hanging out, enjoying usually good weather at least early in the year. Um, so I, I think that's uh, that's why the 11 a.m. Uh, I think they need to to go back and say Fox, you know, this is fine, but you're not you're not going to comp- you don't really necessarily need to compete with the Auburn Clemson crowd because they're going to do the same thing. They're going to watch mm-hmm. Florida and South Carolina because they care about their league too. You know, yeah. the, now if you have a one versus two game, that's different, but. I just I think this is uh, it's unfortunate, but I don't think it detracts from this game. And kind of for you, what's kind of your assessment of Penn State uh, going into into this? I mean, last year couldn't have had two more opposite seasons. <laughs> the five oh yeah. and five start, they looked <laughs> dreadful, and the four and zero oh finish, they looked good, better. I wouldn't say great, but, but uh, yeah. they won. I mean, you know, yeah, they, they ran Illinois out of town. Yeah, um, which. You know, kudos. But, um, you know, it, it to me, it's it's a very difficult team to get a read on because everything starts and ends with how Sean Clifford's going mm-hmm. to look in Mike Yersich's offense. And it's been a revolving door of OCs around here. Um, fans are kind of, they've been fed up with that. Uh, I think they've been fed up with that heading into last year. Uh, but now you kind of look at it and, and you say, well, okay, Penn State, you're healthy now. You've got Noah Kane back, who got hurt in the fourth mm-hmm. play of the season last year. So, um, But what is Sean Clifford's decision-making? How is that going to look? And one of the interesting things that I've heard a lot about this offseason, and it came up a little bit, little bit this week on our Zoom interviews, it's about getting Sean Clifford to not feel like he has to do everything. Mm-hmm. To, you know, to say, hey, 
just take as simple as it sounds, take what the defense is is giving you and get off the field. And a whole, oh, by the way, don't turn the ball over. I mean, mm-hmm. Penn State went from that Cotton Bowl year, they were plus eight in the turnover margin, right. went to minus eight last year. That's mm-hmm. a brutal stretch. Like that, that's just a swing that you can't withstand. So. I mean, my read on this team is going to come down to this offense and how many tempos are they going to use with Yersich because that's what he's all about. And um, they are going to go under center, which has this fan base uh, really energized because that was mm-hmm. kind of the longest thing, you know. They they like them some fullbacks around here yeah, and yeah. Uh, they will absolutely lose their minds if ever, uh, you know, we see, see a two-back set, which Penn State <laughs> said they are open to. Uh, so it's going to be it's a difficult team to get a read on just because, quite frankly, our preseason you know viewing windows didn't shed much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we saw no eleven on eleven action, no scrimmages. Uh, Scott, some of us who are a little more uh, particular about our, our practice viewing habits may or may not keep track of how much time we've seen this preseason. Um, and in 83 minutes of drill work, I can tell you that the running backs hold onto the ball an awful lot um, and that the receivers look pretty good when they're throwing you know, against air with no pass rush. But as they say, until the, the bullets start flying, we don't know much. <laughs> yeah, I, I can totally agree with that. I had one open viewing, and um, it... And they had one guy who started the entire practice at left tackle and looked like, wow, okay, it's redshirt freshman. He's number, mm-hmm. he's first team. He's going to be in there the whole time. Uh, no, you know, they flipped it around. So it's just kind of like he looked good, too. I was surprised. But so. did they did they bring the players in in limited contact jerseys through a side door as you left? No. It, no. Iowa has gotten better. It's elevated yeah. from last or close to last to – Maybe mid pack, and in, in when it comes to access, now that doesn't mean we get to watch anything other than yeah. one day when everybody else does too. So it's not like we can tell people, <laughs> hey, you know, this guy looked good. Oh, really? What'd you see? Well, you, yeah. know, you could have been there if you wanted to. But, and yeah. I think that's kind of that's the thing that uh, you know, it's always kind of been like this under James Franklin. We get the the viewing windows, which we always go back and say, well, under Paterno, we saw nothing. So this yeah. this is an upgrade. Um, but when you got a new OC, you know, how much of that is, how much of the practice maybe has changed with the order in which they do things. And we used to see the end of practice. Now we see the beginning of practice. Um, and also that competitive advantage, which everybody is wound up about. And um, Penn State, we didn't get a depth chart this year because they didn't want to release one because they said, what's the, what's the point? Because not everyone's releasing one. Um, so, I mean, I think it, it's any little angle teams are looking for, at, you know, at this point of the year, uh, which I think all factors into new OC, week one, big game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, by the way, you're coming off a four and five season, so you've got to protect everything you have because you don't want to go down that road again. I look at Sean Clifford and, you know, two years ago, I thought he was pretty good. I thought he was upper mm-hmm. level in the Big Ten. Maybe not Justin Fields or anything like that. Right. Um I kind of view him almost as like the Andy Dalton of Big Ten quarterbacks. Oh, and, you know, hey, look at Andy's statistics historically. Not where he's at right now today. I and mean, Sean is an Ohio guy. Yeah. Uh, and I look at, at him and I'm like, well, you know, he can kind of get the job done. He kind of, you know, gets a lot of junk for maybe stuff that isn't his fault. But then also, you know, does he make the big play in the big game? And I really haven't seen a lot of that. Um 
So I, I guess I've got a question there. You know, Will Levis left. He's now eating mm-hmm. raw bananas, peels and all, and Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, which, which, by the way, Scott, like, I mean, I'm so disappointed that we never got into that last year with him. I mean, I the guy, when it, he was never eating anything when we were talking to him on Zoom. I mean, yeah. this we could have been sitting on an earth-shattering story, but we missed it. Yeah, and, and I, I go all the way back to when he was in high school, and Iowa was his number two. And then once Penn State offered, then he goes off to Penn State. And I'm like, man, we missed a chance here. We could have had him <laughs> talking about that. But instead, I got a quarterback who uh, his, his flag football coach was James Hetfield from Metallica. So you know, <laughs> that, and, That's pretty solid. Yeah, at his, uh, at his high school uh, graduation party at the – uh, at the restaurant owned by Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead, so you know he's he's got some interesting things too. He just doesn't eat bananas whole, but uh, I digress. Few people do. <laughs> yeah. When I look at um, James Franklin, certainly he's been, um, you know, he's done good things, and mm-hmm. I remember asking him about uh, the, the playoff expansion, and I kind of prefaced my question in Indianapolis that hey. Uh, you know, four out of the last five years, if you had a 12-team playoff, you'd be in it. And he's like, hey, can you say that again louder? You know, like to <laughs> tell everybody, you know, so I can do that. But, but I mean, you know, he's had, what, four different offensive coordinators in his Penn State mm-hmm. career and, and three in the last three seasons. Uh, Kirk Soraka had a really good run at, at Minnesota, Minnesota, and it just didn't work out. But, I mean, it, there were so many different excuses you could give somebody – you know, one year, hey, I didn't get a chance to work with these guys. I was just coming in blind yeah. because of COVID and everything, and here they are. Uh, they barely gave them a chance. You know, what, what's kind of your view of this, and why didn't it work, and what, what will Yurich bring this team that will help it elevate? It's, it's bizarre, Scott, because it has been that revolving door, and, you know, I, th- I think the thing that stands out to me most when I think back to this off season and kind of the – the, oh, wow, here's a new OC hire because, yeah, last year was a mess, but, you know, you could pin that on COVID. Penn State had zero spring practices. Um, you know, your running back gets hurt, opening drive of the first game of the season. So you could pin it on all these things, which is what they did throughout the season, which is why I thought, okay, they're going to run it again with Sharaka, give it a, give it a, a go. But then Mike Yersich becomes available from Texas, and then I start talking to people and it comes out that Yersich the year before Penn State would have liked to have ha- had him but wasn't able to uh, to get him and now there's some theories at play Scott uh, there with you know you can go back and say okay hmm, well he was at Ohio State and were the Buckeyes not willing to let him go at that point uh, but he goes on to Texas but then once that Texas staff gets cleaned out he becomes available and it's kind of like the James Franklin this is my guy Adios, Shiraka. I'm going all in on Yursich. And that was a big boy move. I mean, to me, that was really... And, you know, we can talk about financial ramifications, too, uh, of it, because that's that's always part of these moves, and we're hearing all about you're coming through a pandemic, and, you know, all these athletic departments are looking where they're spending and this and that. Um, so you go out and you... Franklin put his, you know, his stamp on this hire. This is the guy he wanted and brings in Mike Yursich. And now it's like, okay... If it doesn't work out now, it's uh, the seat gets yeah. pretty pretty toasty, right? I mean, it, it's it's just been strange to see that much turnover. And kind of the interesting thing with going back to Shiraka, uh, because 
you know, part of the reason why Penn State brings him in, he's a Pennsylvania guy, but also because of what he was able to do to Brent Price defense when Penn State played Minnesota the year before and lost. Mm -hmm. So you bring him in, and then I always go back to, Scott, how much of last year's offense was Kirk Shiraka's? We were never able to get a very clear answer on it, um, and a lot of it, I'm pretty sure was because of COVID and the fact that they weren't able to get through everything, no spring ball, all that. Um, so you had this hodgepodge of like predictability of using Will Levis just like a battering ram on short yardage situations, end zone fade after end zone fade. And then it's kind of like, oh, well, it didn't work out. So let's try again. So, I mean, they did keep a lot of the terminology the same as much as they could this off season. Um, but it's a clean slate with Yursich. It's a new offense. It's a lot of tempo. Uh, and James Franklin even mentioned this when Yursich was hired that multiple tempos here and really, you know, pushing the pace. And Franklin said uh, something to the effect of they thought they were going to have more tempo before with previous hires, and then that never happened. Which mm-hmm. I think actually he was mentioning Joe Moorhead because that was kind of the one thing we always heard with Moorhead, and we never really saw that much of it. But they were a hell of a good offense mm-hmm. then. So I think anybody would return to that era. Well, that was a great era. I mean, yeah. Moorhead, and I watched I watched the way he carved up Iowa one year, and mm-hmm. uh, and the next year was a great game, but it, it specifically the, the Penn State championship year, and he knew which buttons to push. He knew where to push, yeah, you know, whenever Saquon Barkley, of course he had Saquon Barkley. Yeah, yeah. He, had, he had the weapons, yeah. Trace McSorley ran that. Yeah. I mean, he would have been a great option quarterback back in the 80s. I mean, just, but he was great in what he did now in the zone mm-hmm. read and stuff, and um, so I really liked what Joe Moorhead brought. Um, Soraka, I, I saw him in Minnesota for several years there, and, and he, he did some good things too. And I think in part, though, it was he had some inc- incredible wide receivers. Um, yeah, Bateman. You know, Bateman and Tyler Johnston yeah. and Todd Johnson. Um, you know, Tanner Morgan was able to use that last year. He wasn't very good. Um, and, uh, you know, Mo Ibrahim was a tremendous running back. So he had that full weaponry. And, and uh, so I, I think last year, my view, outside view, I did watch, mm-hmm. obviously, one Penn State game very closely, but was that the loss in the opener changed the trajectory of that season more than any other team in the league. Because yes. if that fraction of an inch gets called, in my opinion, the correct way, mm-hmm. it was short, Yeah. then – you then there's a loss against uh, Ohio State. It's not a it's not a killer. It's like well, you still got an opportunity to go to the next level. But I think once then they went zero and two, and it's like well, your, your playoff sh- you know hopes are shot. People are hurt and dropping out. Then you go to Maryland, deflated and get crushed. <laughs> then what? You know, Nebraska was a terrible loss. Probably the worst loss of the yeah. Bunch. That was that. That was the bottom out point. I mean, Maryland was pretty bad. Maryland mm-hmm. was ugly, but Nebraska was like that. You've hit rock bottom. Um, and to me, Scott, that's kind of the thing. And I completely agree with you. And uh, Jesse Temple and I, my uh, colleague who covers Wisconsin, our colleague who covers yeah. Wisconsin, um, we were doing a live chat today on the Athletic and. Somebody had brought that up. They said, if, if Penn State loses to Wisconsin, do you worry about last year happening again? Um, and I said, well, this team is, is built differently. It's a different season. It's a more normal season. Uh, we keep hearing all of this. This team's closer than the group before and all that kind of thing. Um, but the difference here is you've got Ball State on the other side of it. Still a good Ball State team, don't get me sure. wrong. A talented team. But you don't have Ohio State on the other side of it. 
but you do have Auburn week three this year. So it's yeah. a rough schedule. Um, but yeah, I think that is going to be in the back of a lot of people's minds this weekend of if they lose at Camp Randall, what, what happens next week? Yeah. And I've got, you know, and frankly, the team I cover is in a similar situation. Last year, it started 0-2. It lost two games by a combined five points. Uh, at Purdue, it, it had it, like 10 different players out because of COVID and lost because of a couple fumbles late. Otherwise, it would have won. And then then has a 17 to nothing lead against Northwestern at home and blows it and loses 21-20. to And... I, I dare say if fans were in the stands, I don't think Northwestern comes back to win that game, although they tend to beat Iowa with regularity um, to <laughs> Iowa's uh, internal dismay. But but then that also, uh, you know, that was a poorly called game. That had an opportunity to be at a real crossroads moment for the Hawkeyes. Uh, 0-2, tumultuous offseason, all those things adding up. And then they galvanized and won six straight. Five of them were by double figures. I mean, beat Penn State by 20, beat Wisconsin by 21, returned 14 people who have all Big Ten, um, you know, know, honors at at some point. So they've actually got a really good team. But but I think in their case, which is similar to Penn State, um, in week two, then they go to Iowa State, you know, in a rivalry game, and it'll be the highest – uh, most impactful and important Cyhawk game of all time. I mean, Iowa State's right now ranked yeah. seventh. Iowa's 18th. If Iowa wins, they'll be in probably in the top, top 15. And uh, and so if you go 0-2 there, uh, it's going to take some time that's to get gonna off be the w- Yeah, and that's going to be a wild game, Scott. That's mm-hmm. a, that's what's, what's the atmosphere going to be like for that? Because I feel like that's just going to be like – Dread and hatred among everyone in the parking lot, right? Is that how that works there? Yeah, it's it's pretty wild because there's a it's a weird state. It's not as diverse in some ways as, as Pennsylvania, where you have like three Pennsylvanias. Yeah, in, in Iowa, it's not quite that way. There's the eastern Iowa, kind of where I'm at, which is kind of looks more eastern, looks more towards Chicago as the big city and stuff. And then there's central and western Iowa, which kind of looks to Des Moines as the hub. But, you know, they're in Des Moines, for instance, which is about 750,000 people in that area or that um, city area. And, and it's it's split. It's evenly split. So there's a lot of people who work together and stuff. So it's it's friendly that way, but it's also very intense. And uh, I would ex- usually when they play, there's about 30,000 people who go and just linger. They don't go to the game. They just hang out. And, and it aims it's the the tailgating is different it's a wide open area it's kind of like arrowhead stadium in some respects so my expectation is even though there's like 61,000 seats there that there'll be 100,000 people um, hanging around it'll, it'll be kind of disastrous to be honest with you i always say just because of the intensity of the week here for who you know whichever team you're covering that happiness is uh, Jack Trice or Kinnick in your rearview mirror because it, <laughs> it's uh, it is super intense and it's fun. Don't get me wrong. Next week's yeah. going to be a blast just because it's it's an important game. But man, it gets it, you know both both sides are a little bit insecure at times, and so it can get <laughs> the fire can get going with just a look. So yeah, yeah. I could I could I could sense that Scott after. Uh... Pitt Penn State got heated mm. up here and you know even with, with the Big Ten Alliance talks last week um, and the press conference and there were people who said oh my gosh after that like Pitt Penn State has to happen every year and I was like oh my gosh please let's not do this again yeah. like 
if that was your takeaway from the Alliance, you're thinking about it all wrong. Mm. And I mean, they, the Alliance left everything very open, but uh, would you rather see Penn State play Pitt every year as opposed to like Oregon, USC? Like, no, like, but some people think that way. And so I, I can absolutely respect the uh, just get through next week, mm-hmm. enjoy it, and be glad when it's in the rear view. Yeah. Well, and that's a, a hangnail in this whole alliance as well, because Penn State's one of the teams that's, or, or I, Penn State, Iowa State's one of the teams that's in the irate eight, you know, left out. <laughs> and and really a sad yeah. part of this for Iowa State is their program is at the a level it's never been at before. Um, Jamie Pollard, their AD, who's perpetually built this over 15 years, I mean, it was a... I won't say it was a wasteland, but it was certainly at the very, very bottom of Power Five 15 years ago. I mean, they get good crowds for Iowa and Nebraska, and then they get nothing for any other team, really. And and now that now they're in, in good shape. I mean, they're a top 30-ish type team when it comes to attendance every year, right around high 50s to 60,000. They're ranked in the top 10. They've got an outstanding coach, not a good coach, an outstanding mm-hmm. coach in Matt Campbell. And they've got enough players that they have a legitimate shot at doing something this year. And and yet, as soon as they're getting ready to gear up for it, Oklahoma, Texas says, eh, we're going to leave. <laughs> and so <laughs> we're done. They're, they're, yeah. they're pretty upset. And then it, so it, it just spiel, uh, to push that forward for you know the Cyhawk, what does that mean beyond 2025 when their ex- contract expires? I don't know, because the ACC has like four of those in-state series, too, with uh, yeah. SEC teams. So they're not, you know, I don't see uh, Jim Phillips going to Florida State saying you can't play Florida anymore, you know. I mean, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. right. So I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but, you know, there's there's some, uh, you know, it, it's a tender moment here. You know, there there's some people who are real confused, so. And Scott, I mean, that's the, that was like, I mean, that's Pitt Penn State, right? Like, this is what happens when the rivalry goes away. You Mm -hmm. get what's happened here where this whole generation of people like me, you didn't grow up on this game. You had no connection to it whatsoever. The kids playing here now, uh, if you're from Pittsburgh, maybe it means a little bit more to you, but more so just because like maybe some of your friends play at Pitt. So it's like that, but it's not what it was for like, you know the parents generation of people my age like it's not that and so this is what happens when it goes away you have all these people didn't grow up on it and just like whatever and now it's to the point where like the old people want this game the younger people like yeah screw it give us something else you know it's it's whatever to to this generation um but that's where you get stuck at and Mm -hmm. it's sad because talking to people you know when penn state was the game for Mm -hmm. them once it's gone like that, you're not getting it back. And that to me is the really sad part, you know, with what you're talking about. Yeah. It's interesting even here with, uh, with Kirk Ferentz, cause he grew up in Pittsburgh. He was a GA on the 1980 team mm-hmm. on the offensive line, which was as good of a line as ever has been assembled. And, you know, in uh, college sports, um, his father-in-law played at Penn state. Um, so, you know, he's well-versed in that, rivalry and really understands okay. it and in that era i do remember it a, a little bit to an extent when you had todd blackledge versus dan marino mm-hmm. and i mean those were some of the best games that was one of those great rivalries and it was also the first one to kind of get pushed out because of realignment 
um, you know, and then followed by Arkansas, Texas, then Oklahoma, Nebraska, and then, of course, the, the big whams the last 10 to 12 years. So uh, this one is is kind of similar to Pitt and Penn State in that that now that Iowa State doesn't have any contiguous members in the Big 12, no Nebraska, no Missouri, mm-hmm. um, it's Iowa is it's really its truest rival. But because historically they're different set programs, kind of a lot like Penn State Pitt, at least the last 35 years or whatever, that Iowa views itself differently. And the fans, uh, 25% of the fans don't want to play them at all. Um, and, <laughs> and then the rest are, do want to play them. So yeah. it's going to be fascinating to see and you know what's the situation in 2025, 2026. And uh, you know, I, I, I do think, though, that if nothing else, the Big Ten is probably going to drop to eight games uh, to make this happen. Yeah. I think that's the only and that, I mean, I think that's what you have to do, right? Like, I don't know how other how else you could make this work. I mean, if you're going to go out and, and do this whole thing with the alliance, but then say, oh, we're going to keep nine games, which that to me was, well, one of many baffling parts last week with what they said and didn't say. But yeah, to me, like, you've got to have that hammered out from the get-go of, hey, we're dropping down from nine to eight mm-hmm. uh, before you go and hold a press conference. But <laughs> yeah. apparently not. It's like, hey, we're real light on specifics other than, hey, we we want to hang out and, and we want to do things together for a while. I think that's pretty much what, what it turned <laughs> out to be. And, um, you know, whether it serves as a counterweight, I don't know. I mean, I do I don't necessarily I, I think the Big Ten's bigger than the than the ACC and the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be first among equals or don't do this um, yeah. because, uh Again, they they view themselves, at least when Jim Delaney was there, the, the Big Ten was viewed as the SEC's equal and, and historical rival, if you will, in a lot of ways. And, you know, it doesn't need to subject itself to something, you know, down that path. It's all about the like-minded academic institutions, Scott. Come on. Didn't you um, learn that last week? Yes, those tweed coats and... Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> professors at Cal and, uh, you know, can't wait for Cal and Michigan to hook up and talk about uh, whatever. Research. About. Yeah. Have a little powwow about research, you know. I like yeah. it. Over in the tailgate lots. Mm-hmm. I like it. 13 AAU institutions in the Big Ten, nine in the Pac-12, and I think seven in the ACC. So, nice little uh, GS, was it G? GSR rates, the graduation success rates. Yeah, Some right. GSR talk at the tailgates. Oh yeah, let's let's just worry about let's football. Not. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't think it. You know, you look at the other sports. I mean, it's kind of hey, all right, it's kind of cool that maybe the baseball teams could go play in Florida or Arizona mm-hmm. or do some things that way. That's probably a good thing. But it's really, I mean, this whole thing's about football. We know it's about football. Yeah. And so, you know, don't try to sugarcoat it. And I could say some really crude analogies and I won't, but I just <laughs> think it's uh, it's just a way to, let's, uh, you know, they need to keep the focus on what it's really most important. And yeah. that's what happens on the football field. And we've got some great games this weekend. Uh, Big Ten kicking off with four Big Ten games. I mean, that's rare. I mean, occasionally we'll get one. Um, is there any that you kind of catches your eye um, outside of the one you're going to be covering on Saturday? I mean, like, oh, if I had time, I'd like to watch this one. <laughs> well, I will have time, so I'll watch Ohio State. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? To me, that's the that's kind of the, the story for me in the Big Ten East is, is the door open for anybody else in mm-hmm. in this this race? Uh, is it even a race? And that's why I want to I watch Ohio State and see, you know, what do they look like? 
uh, with the new quarterback. And is there a shot for anybody else based off of that uh, to do so? So that's, you know, as much as we complained, rightfully so, about the way the schedule lines up for this weekend, did you get those those lead-in games that uh, help people like me out? Because, again, mm-hmm. Scott, all about me. Right. Well, I'm, hey, I'm glad to be home. I don't have to worry yeah. about it. You know, I can watch North Michigan State at Northwestern on Friday night, which I think is fascinating mm-hmm. for a couple of realms. And I'm glad all four of these are non-divisional games, so you can kind of yeah. sort some things out. But uh, Northwestern won the, the, the West last year. Uh, its only loss was to Michigan State, who I saw lose to Iowa 49-7. to So that was kind of a surprise to me. But, but uh, you know, Michigan State's got a ton of new transfers and – I want to see, can Mel Tucker put it together, or is this going to be a real tough grind for him? Northwestern, that that was a real surprise to me what they did at quarterback. I mean, they bring in Mm -hmm. Ryan Holinsky from South Carolina. He was supposed to be the guy, and then all of a sudden they went with Hunter Johnson. So uh, they lost a lot of really good defenders. I mean, guys that have been there as long as I've been covering Iowa, it seems like 15, 20 years. (laughs) The The Jared Aberderis's of the world. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, You know, Blake Gallagher and Patty Fisher, they – Felt like they were there since I was like turned thirty, you know, a million years ago. So <laughs> they're, uh, you know, so I, I love that game on a Friday night in the Chicagoland area, and of course, what we've got going on. But you know, there's also a couple other Power Five matchups, and you know, this is like pre-Alliance Alliance games: Oregon <laughs> State at Purdue, West Virginia at Maryland. So I don't know if. I don't think either one of us will get a chance to watch any of those games, yeah. but but they're kind of bragging rights games, and they give you a kind of a, a barometer on where these teams uh, sit. I think that might be the one thing, Scott, that like the general public or people listening to this probably maybe don't understand about our jobs is like how little other like how few games we get to watch on a Saturday because you know you're getting to the stadium super early for the game that you're covering, you're writing afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say that it's the one thing about the Alliance that, you know, Pac-12 after dark, that's usually what I get to watch because it's, you know, by the time I'm done, assuming it's not a night game for Penn State, by the time I'm done, filed my story, I'm home. It's like, oh, let me turn on the TV and just have a beer and watch whatever game is on. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the rest of it, if it's, you know, if it's a Thursday game, if it's a Friday game, absolutely, I can watch it. But Saturdays are just... It's one thing after the next, you know. It's mm-hmm. I'm not sitting at home with ten screens or like I would on an NFL Sunday, flipping back and forth watching everything. It, it's different. Yeah, it is, and uh, you know, so that's what's kind of interesting with using sports writers as rankers for like AP yeah. poll and 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 let's face it, this is the one poll in this country for any sport that matters the most mm-hmm. because perception is reality in a lot of cases and. I remember, uh, you know, I worked with a, a voter when I was at the Cedar Rapids Gazette for a lot of years, and we were driving back from games, and we would go over them, you know, and he's like, okay, help me out here. Let's talk these yeah. over, and we'd spend, which was a good way to kill time when it's <laughs> 11 o'clock at night, and I'm driving from Purdue or from Minnesota or someplace <laughs> like that, but, you know, we'd go over each team, what they did, how they did, and, what you know, what do you think, and, and, you know, that, so that was, holistic approach was really good, but you know, I'm glad for like us, for instance, the athletic that we have uh, uh, Matt Brown doing it because yeah. Matt, Matt's not covering a game. Matt knows yeah. a ton of football, so he he can have a pretty good representation. He can and, have the ten screens while he's yeah. waiting for me to file my story <laughs> and say, "Audrey, is it in yet? Is it in yet?" Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's I feel the same way about it. I I don't particularly like 
voting in things and voting on awards because we miss so many of these other games. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to me is always, it's a challenge. Yeah. And I did uh, all American last year or last couple mm-hmm. of years. And that's even more difficult when you start to try, try to you know, parse and we do it so early. I mean, when you try to parse the whole uh, lineman and stuff yeah. like that, you know, how am I supposed to know that a, a Kentucky center is as good as the guy? At, I've seen the guy at Iowa. I know he's got awesome. Yeah. But what about, you know, and I can probably vouch for a lot of Big Ten guys, but I only see him really once. And I'm not watching line play necessarily when I do watch uh, when for you're fun. covering it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I do watch it intensely for for work wise. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's a tough thing, and and I think that's it, it doesn't get enough credit. And I think a lot of times, especially with linemen, reputation goes so far. And um, but you know, we all catch up with ESPN. They have a way to shape the the narrative more than any other outlet in any other sport. And um, but that said. I'm looking forward to this weekend and even Temple at Rutgers. I want to see what Greg Schiano does. Let's go Temple Rutgers. Scott. Now that's, you know, you talk about rivalries and who is a rival, who doesn't, uh, that Philly, New Jersey right there. Like that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it, it's if both of those programs and this might sound crazy maybe to some people, but it seems maybe more likely that Rutgers becomes that's that program. That's no longer the doormat. Before Temple does at this point. Yeah. Um, but that to me, like, that should be fun. That should get people in the Philadelphia area jacked. Like, that, it should be a good game. Um, but people from the outside looking in, they're like, well, why the hell am I going to watch that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm all for it. And I think, you know, this goes beyond the on field product. This is recruiting right there. And this Temple staff, um, I'll go back to the, the coaching confidential that I did in Pennsylvania uh, earlier this summer. Temple is getting ripped for their inability to recruit right now. And what's Greg Schiano all about? Recruiting in Rutgers footprint, which is Philly, which is obviously New Jersey. It's the areas right around there. Uh, so these are games that have ramifications much more than what you're going to see, you know, this weekend. Yeah, for sure. And finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, last week's Big Ten opener between Illinois and Nebraska. It was, it was supposed to be in Ireland. Um, and of course, yeah. it didn't happen, which I, I think we all figured out. Um, not only COVID, but if you're uh, if you're Illinois and you're starting the Brett Bielema era, you know maybe bring that game back to Champaign and instead yeah. of uh, Guinness <laughs> <laughs> over in Ireland. But what were uh, what were some of your takeaways? Did you watch it first of all? And, I did. Yeah. I did watch it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like that. You're going for that early season football fix. It's like I'm going to watch whatever's on, um, but. Gosh, Scott, uh, Nebraska, what what do you do next? I mean, I, th- I think that to me is more of the the question of like, uh, what do you, what hope do you have for that program? Because you you know you talk about massive fan bases, followings, the whole Scott Frost return, which was this yeah. its own big thing. What do you do now? Because to me, I'm watching that and I'm like, oh, it can't be this bad. No, it can't. Oh, it's that bad. I mean. It was just bad football. Um, I don't know. What do you do, Scott? Fix their problems for me. Fix their problem. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know where to begin on this. No, what's tough for them is that their previous coaches, that they were – they wanted them to win, but they Mm -hmm. were willing to cut them off. You know, uh, Mike Riley or Mm -hmm. Bo Pelini or Bill Callahan before that. 
that they weren't they weren't huskers. They weren't they didn't yeah. bleed the red the way they did. Um, so they were able to say, okay, we need to walk away from this and move on. And fans are fine with it. Scott Frost is one of them. He he's a link to the past. He had success at Oregon and of course at UCF, and he was the prodigal son projecting to bring them into the. Uh, to back to prominence, maybe not '90s prominence, but certainly yeah. getting Indianapolis, not getting this. major bowls, <laughs> yeah. uh, top ten rankings, and beating rivals and stuff. But instead, I see a team that's completely undisciplined, that makes the same mistakes over and over again, that has excuse after excuse after excuse. I mean, last year after they lost to Iowa, um, you know, Scott Frost complained about clapping and you know, about how the, the yeah. fan, you know, and and so. You just see things like that, and you're like, you know, you just need to worry about you. You need to win and quit being, you know, talking about like at the very beginning when they're like, well, hopefully the Big Ten can adjust to us. And, well, you know, yeah. you, you got <laughs> Or we're going to take our ball and go home and we're going to leave. Yeah. Right. Or, you know, talking about, um, you know, Michigan and Ohio State are scared. And then, of course, they said later, oh, that was just tongue in cheek. Yeah. No, nobody's scared. Nobody. You know, this, <laughs> you're, this league is not built that way. Um, and, you know they they haven't beaten Iowa since 2014. They haven't beaten Wisconsin since like 2012. Uh, you know they own a two game losing streak to Illinois, and that's the only team that actually is he's 500 against in the West Division. And and no offense to Illinois, and I think Bielema is going to do a really nice job there, a big picture because he understands it, understands yeah. what he needs to do. But Illinois is not the program if you're in Nebraska that you look at and go, <laughs> yeah, I think I need to. Uh, um, it's not the benchmark, yeah. No, you know, you, you want to compete with Wisconsin and Iowa to be among the better teams in the West and eventually get yourself over that top. And Illinois is, is a is a bump. It's not a hill. And so I, I think right now it, you've got to see improvement because in year four you can't have those kinds of special teams mistakes. You can't have those yeah. fumble snaps. You can't complain on Monday about, well, you know, we thought they were going to have a 30 front and then we had to throw out half of our plays. I mean, just, yeah. What are you doing? I mean, what are you saying? Yeah, it was it was bad. And I think the other part of that, too, is because of it happening when it did, everybody was watching, yeah. you know, like there's no dodging that one. Um, yeah, it's I feel for that fan base um, because massive fan base. Uh, people who care a whole heck of a lot about Nebraska, and you got nothing to hang your hat on right now. You know it, it's sad, um, but whew, Scott, that was that was ugly. Yeah, I mean, by lion's share, I don't always feel sad for them, <laughs> but you know, because of my dreams <laughs> yeah. at times. But but in this case, I, I I'm almost there. I, I I really feel like they're losing hope because he mm-hmm. was their last chance of hope. Because where do you go from here? He was the one, the promised one. You were the chosen one. It's like Anakin Skywalker turning into Darth Vader or something. You know, it's like, <laughs> what happened here? So, you know, that's, uh, to me, I, I think they're just they're just going to have to identify a coach, and it doesn't have to be a Husker hire or anything, but a coach that can come in and put them in a position to compete. It doesn't matter what you do eventually, big picture. Just the Big Ten West is built really on – two tenants and you've got to be able to match one is it's a line of scrimmage league if you can't match up up front you're going to get your ass kicked and two you've got to develop people because it's there's a higher floor i think in the west and a lower ceiling than there is in the east i think the floor is lower in the the east and the ceiling's higher so what you've seen out of teams like 
northwestern Wisconsin and Iowa specifically is great development, good, you know, great line of scrimmage play, and occasionally when they get a skill position player who can do something with it, um, then that's when that team takes off and has good season because all of those teams have ended up ranked several times over the last handful of years. Nebraska can't do either. They can't develop <laughs> people. They, they recruit at a higher rate, a higher level yeah. than those teams. And then, two, their line of scrimmage has always been suspect since they entered the Big Ten. So until they can do that, they don't have to aspire to be those teams, but they have to be able to match the physicality up front, and they just haven't. But, hey, Scott, maybe the alliance will help that. <laughs> well, well, maybe they can play Colorado, but then, of course, they did a few years ago and got beat there. They were up <laughs> by two touchdowns and lost in the fourth quarter. But, but finally, uh, you're going to the beer mecca of the world. Uh, in oh, my eyes, in Wisconsin. And, and I think this is your birthday weekend, too, if I remember. It is, Scott. My birthday is Saturday. Oh, wow. So you've got yeah. it all there. And you're going to see the one you love the most in Spotted Cow. How did you get to be such a, uh, a lover of Spotted Cow a, and a connoisseur? of the of A cow connoisseur? <laughs> yeah, there you um, go. Cowabunga. So, yeah. So I'm from, uh, Scott knows this, but I'm from Pennsylvania, born and raised. Um, Victory Brewing Company, for the, the beer folks that are listening, uh, Victory Brewing Company was right in my parents' backyard. So I grew up when Victory was like not anything like it is now. It was just this small hole in the wall, um, seriously, like less than a hundred yards from my parents' house. So, you know, so I, I, you know, you grow up with like, there's an interest because it's right there. And it's like, what's this thing in the backyard? And, you know, my brother and I, my parents would take us over. Um, we'd walk over to victory and snowstorms and all that. Um, but the spotted cow thing. So I spent, I was 21 at the time, way back when, um, and I covered the Brewers for a summer as an intern with MLB.com. So that was, you know, if you're going to be 21 somewhere, Scott, for a summer, and you're in Milwaukee, mm -hmm. you're going to drink a lot of Spotted Cow. Uh, <laughs> and I drank a lot of other things yeah, that summer, right. but Spotted Cow definitely was uh, was the one. Um, and then so I'd go to Packer games um, as much like as much as possible, like once every year, every other year, my family would try to go out for a game. So you're out there, you're drinking Spotted Cow. Um, so that's kind of how, how it happened. And so now it's one of those things where it's like, all right, how can I get my hands on spotted cow wherever I'm going anywhere? Somehow, you know, somewhat near there. Um, I always tell the story that a couple of years ago when Penn state played, uh, Iowa, I was supposed mm -hmm. to come out there to see you. Uh, we got some kind of weird, like weather delay or something in state college, whatever the reason they couldn't get me into Cedar Rapids. They had to send me elsewhere. Uh, so I'm sitting in the University Park Airport like, all right, how am I going to do this? Where am I going to go? Uh, and then I was like, oh, Madison's a few hours away. Mm -hmm. Put me on a flight to Madison. And that's <laughs> what happened. So I flew into Madison and uh, may or may not have set up an order at Total Wine in Madison while I was waiting in the Detroit airport <laughs> for a couple cases of Spotted Cow. So got the rental car, got the beer. Drove with a, a colleague on the beat uh, out to, to Cedar Rapids and then got there and we all had some spotted cow. Tremendous, tremendous story. Yeah. I mean, and, and and yes, I still have some in my house too, thankfully, with my with my graduated from college son in, in Minneapolis right now. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, you, I come home and I'm like, what happened to it? And, well, I'm sorry, Dad, but, <laughs> you know, now it's... it's, it's it's a great beer, Scott. It's it's the cow connection, you know. I yeah. just 
Uh, and Moon Man was really good too. I was hoping all along that I could get out to New Glarus Brewing Company. Uh, but because of COVID, I had been on their website and I found this out probably back in like the early summer of like, they're going to be closed till October. So mm-hmm. unfortunately that's not happening. Uh, but I can still have a lot of spotted cow and a lot of moon man and, yeah. uh, some old fashions in there. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be, a, it's going to be a full weekend. Yeah. I mean, I know you're going to go see a recruit one of those days, but I, I would, mm-hmm. I would suggest one thing in the Madison area is yeah. there's a, there's a beer outlet called Steve's and it's a giant place and one of my former colleagues and best friends Mark Morehouse and I would go there when we'd cover Wisconsin and one year he took like a grocery cart and was driving around the store and and got like three hundred dollars worth of beer there and and I always joke he looked like Nicolas Cage and leaving Las (laughs) Vegas you know loading up on alcohol to kill himself but but there's just so many great uh beers there in the madison area and and here too i mean we're kind of a a craft beer mecca so when you do make it to iowa city and what october 8th or 9th or that Mm -hmm. area you know you're gonna have to experience that too we don't have spotted cow but man is is toppling goliath is it you guys are nebraska that's that's northeast iowa yeah okay that's in decor about two hours north of iowa city and right on the minnesota border and then, uh, but in Iowa City, we have uh, Big Grove Brewery. We have Back Pocket. Uh, we have the, the what I call the OG, and that's Millstream Brewery. And okay. that's where they have Oktoberfest. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> the Oktoberfest, I, I, they do it every year on, an, on a road Iowa game, and I hate it. Oh, see, that's... The day yeah, they you don't do the, that. The day they top, tap the keg, that Friday night, it's the craziest party of the year in Iowa. I mean, nobody knows it. But they should not. <laughs> yeah, totally... and you got to miss it. Yeah, there was a. Uh, they do an Oktoberfest in, in State College or pre-COVID. They did uh, out at the the ski slope out at Tussie Mountain, and the best thing they ever did, Scott, was the one year they made it on a Friday night, and it was whiteout. I believe it was whiteout weekend, um, and Penn State was playing Ohio State. I can't. Maybe it wasn't a whiteout weekend, but they were playing Ohio State. So busy weekend, every bar's packed. They do Oktoberfest. You go out there, you have a good time, have a fire. It's great. Um, but yeah, I, the, the Madison thing, I'm very much looking forward to that. I've been getting recommendations from Jesse Temple for weeks. Mm-hmm. I've also, um, I have a friend who works uh, in athletics at Wisconsin. And so I've been asking her for recommendations. Mm-hmm. So there's just not enough time, Scott. This game's just getting in the way. The game is getting away of all the fun stuff going on in Madison. So... Well, as always, we wanted to thank you, Audrey, for stopping by and and for our legends and listeners for spending some time with us and adding us to your podcasting rotation. Please subscribe, rate, and review us five stars, just like Ari Wasserman's top prospects. So for Audrey Snyder, this is Scott Docterman, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>